So I want you to go to Zechariah this morning, Zechariah chapter 3. Um, earlier this week when I was praying, I felt like the Holy Spirit was showing me uh, something that hinders us from walking out our full potential. And that which does that is accusation. Everybody say accusation. And I want to talk about this morning. I've never talked about it. I've never used the word before as far as I'm concerned, as far as actually preaching a message. But accusation is a charge or an indictment against another person which may or may not be true. I'm going to say it again. Accusation is a charge or an indictment against another person which may or may not be true. So what I heard the Holy Spirit say is that he is moving swiftly and powerfully through the earth using ordinary men and women just like me and you. And what he's saying to us is the battle against us is accusation. And it's not only accusation of people talking against you, but it's accusation against yourself. There is nothing worse than accusing yourself. Sometimes we need to stop and listen to what we say about ourselves. okay? So there's accusation against us. There's accusation that we use on ourselves. And so this morning, before I, want to end, before I end the service, I want to take some time to silence the accusation, but I really want to silence the accuser. Okay, and the enemy is the accuser. He loves to accuse us. So you can search the world over. You can even search Google and try to find out how can I get my family back in order? How can things happen? How can I keep the constant battles from going on? How can I stop the accusation? The only way you stop the accusation is by the word of God. Okay? What does the word say? What does the word say about your situation? What does the word say about you? And so that's why I say all the time to you, you are not who people say you are. You are not who you think you are, but you are what? Who God says you are. And the only way you're going to know who God says you are is by going to the word and finding out. So there's nothing, I want you to hear this, there's nothing that will paralyze you any quicker than an accusation. Wanting to stop you, wanting to keep you from your full potential, making you feel like I'm not worth it. It's not going to happen anymore. Uh, I'm not really that important. Nobody's even noticing what I'm doing. Those kinds of accusations against you that you even speak to yourself will paralyze you from the ministry and from the purpose that God has for you. So in Zechariah 3, if you want to go there with me, uh, I'll just give you a little bit of a handle on the, on, on the passage. Uh, this is written about 500 B.C. before Christ. Israel is being promised the greatest blessing ever. And Zechariah, hear this, in one night has eight visions. Can you imagine having eight visions? I mean, that has to be the most remarkable day in his life. Eight visions he had concerning Israel and concerning Joshua in this particular passage. So in the first vision, God spoke about uh, the destiny of Israel. And he says, I'm going to bless you. But here's what I want you to hear. Listen to me. At the sense of God blessing them, what you have to understand is that Israel was probably living in its greatest weakness and failure and probably living in its greatest compromise. It goes against us to believe that God wants to bless us in our weakness. It goes against us to believe that God wants to bless us in the middle of our compromise, even in the middle of our failures, and can I even say our sin. So they look at their life and they say, how can God bless us? We are failures, and not only that, but we do not have the resources. There's not enough. And so what they say is, basically, God, I'm disqualified. 
Look at my life. Look how I failed. Look at my weakness. Look how things are going on right now in my life. I feel like a failure. I am a failure. And God says, don't call yourself a failure. God says, I want to bless you in the midst of your weakness. How many are thankful that God wants to bless us in the midst of our weakness? How many of us have weaknesses? Anybody have weakness? Yeah. And God says, I want to bless you in the midst of that. So he says, in the midst of your weakness, in, in, in the midst of your failures, even though they are so pronounced, he's saying, I'm looking at your life and I'm saying to you, I know you don't feel like you're worth anything. I know that you don't think you have enough. But God says, you're not disqualified. I love you. I believe I have a plan for your life. I always have had a plan for your life. And I want you to begin to believe that plan. So in Zechariah, him having those eight visions on one night, in the first three visions again, he has this vision of promised blessing. How many of you want a promised blessing from God? How many know you have a promised blessing from God? How many of you know you are the promised blessing of God? And how many of you know because of God you have more than enough to accomplish what God's called you in your life? If you believe that, just say amen. Okay. So for the next few visions after that, I'm just going to take this quickly. He begins to speak about the blessings and the provision over the people even in the midst of their weakness. So I'm going to ask you this question. Do you believe that God can use you and speak blessings over you even when you're weak? Even when you feel like you're a failure. Even when you understand, hey, I am not living up to my full potential, but I have a plan for you. So if you go to Zechariah chapter 3 and 4, uh, you're going to find out that God is calling us to repent. He's calling us to return to him. And he's saying basically, don't be your, like your stiff-necked, hard-hearted forefathers who did not listen. But I want you to turn to me. I want you to turn to me. Don't turn away from me. In the midst of our weakness, one of the things that we have a tendency to do is to be afraid of God and walk away from him instead of running to him and saying, God, I know you have a plan for my life. I know you have potential that you want to complete in my life. And so what I'm saying to you is God's saying, I want to bless you. I want to give you grace. I want to show you. So in the book of Zechariah, there's this call to repent. And God is asking them to return to the Lord. So the question is this. Now listen to me. How can a weak people who have sinned hope to ever enjoy the promises of God? Let me ask that again. How can a weak people who have sinned hope to enjoy God's promises? And the Lord answers that in two ways, all right? He reveals the abundant grace of God. I want to talk about that this morning. How many believe in the grace of God? I'm not talking about the grace that says you can just go ahead and do whatever you want to do. I'm talking about the grace of God when God says, I see your heart. I know your willingness. I know your desire. But I also see your failure. I also see your weakness. But in the midst of your weakness and in the midst of your failure, I want to tell you that I want to give you grace because my heart is to accomplish what I've called you to do. It's my heart to see it accomplished. I'm the sovereign God. I'm the one who called you. I'm the one who brought you forth. Amen? So in those chapters 3 and 4, basically chapter 3, God is showing his commitment to us to cleanse us and to help us to walk in the fullness that he has for us. Now, again, I want to talk about that a minute. I'm not talking about people who say, I just don't care. I'll just do whatever I want. God loves me. He has, he's forgiven me. There's grace for me. I'll just do whatever I feel like doing because, after all, it's God. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about living flippantly 
uh, just wanting to do whatever we want to do. I'm talking about having a yes in your heart that says, God, I want to go for it. I recognize I'm weak. I recognize my failures. I see my propensity to sin. I see those things in my life. But I want to tell you something. That's not who I really am. That's not what I really want to do. I really desire you. I really want you. I really want to go hard after you. And God says, I see that. I see your failures. I see the way you've compromised. But I want to tell you something. You're not beyond hope. You're not beyond my love. You're not beyond my forgiveness. You're not beyond my grace. I have potential for you. I'm the one who calls you. I'm the one who's seeking you out. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? So the Lord addresses those two obstacles. And the first one is he addresses our sin. And sin always separates us from God. But God always has provided for us through Jesus Christ the spiritual cleansing and the renewal that we need. Through the blood of Jesus. Through his nail-scarred hands. And the next obstacle is our lack of resources. God, I don't have the ability. I don't have the provision. In other words, we need his grace. We need his spiritual renewal in our lives. And we need his supernatural provision. So the message of Zechariah 3 is that God forgives and cleanses our hearts even from our greatest sins. The message of Zechariah 4 is God will provide whatever you need to make sure that gets accomplished because he cares for you that much. So let me just talk to you a minute, because this is out of my heart. This, this, is, this is something that I, I got this morning. Um, most of us have a tendency to, to disqualify ourselves. Most of us put ourselves in time out. I didn't do it well enough. I'm a failure. I have weakness. And God says, no, listen, I love you too much to let you sit on the sidelines. I'm calling you into the game. I'm calling you into what I'm doing right now on the earth. Uh, last Friday night, uh, my uh, grandson uh, invited me to one of his uh, JFL football games in Petersburg, and, and uh, so I went. And the thing that I noticed differently, and I'm sorry about this, Cant Cantonites, Cantonians, uh, what I noticed immediately was that they didn't have preference in who they put in the game. They called everybody in the game because they wanted them to play. It wasn't your name. It wasn't your number. It was just, hey, you're on the team. And so I was a proud grandpa because my grandson, I think, might have been on the sidelines once. He was right in the middle of the game. And, and all I can say about that is that God is not disqualifying you and putting you on the sidelines because of your sin or your failure. Let me say it again. God is not putting you on the sidelines because of your weakness. God is saying, I want you in the game. I want you to understand I have something for you to do. I want you to succeed and not fail. I want you to accomplish all that I have for you. I don't want you on the sidelines. So I don't believe that if you fail, you fail too much to be unused or unsalvageable. Aren't you thankful for that? Because of the grace of God. So the first obstacle, though, was that we say to ourselves so much, we failed too much. Now, I want you to look at this scripture in um, chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, in the vision. 
He is standing before God, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand, a right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, listen to this, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched by the fire or from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. And then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Now I want you to see that again because Joshua is not the Joshua of Exodus. This is Joshua, the high priest of Israel. He has been given the highest position as far as being the high priest over Israel. And so he's standing before God. He's standing before the angel of the Lord. Now listen, the angel of the Lord here is probably the pre-incarnate Jesus. It probably, most of the time in the Old Testament when you talk about the angel of the Lord, you're talking about actually the Messiah showing up actually prematurely. So Joshua is standing before God. He's standing before the angel of the Lord and the accuser. And that's actually what Satan means in that language. It means one who takes accusation against. He's accusing him and saying, you can't use this man. He's filthy. Look at his robe. Look where he's come from. You can't use him. He's unusable. He's unsalvageable. And the response of the Lord is no. He said, the word of the Lord is a rubble not by might nor by power. Isn't that great? But by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It is not by your deeds that you can cleanse yourself. It is not by working yourself up to being a better person that God says, oh, now I see that you're a clean person. It has nothing to do with that. I want to tell you this morning, there's a lot of times in my life where I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like I'm messing up. I feel like I have weaknesses in my life. I do have weaknesses in my life. Do you? And what's interesting is God does not disqualify me because of my weakness. But most of the time, I disqualify myself because I'm always looking at my weakness. And so I say, well, God, how can you use me? And the Lord is saying to me, it's not by might. It's not by your strength. It's not by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not by you having a good willpower to say no to sin. I see your weakness. I know the obstacles that are in your life. I know because I made you. I understand you. I understand your makeup. I understand your weakness. Here's what I want you to understand. It is not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit. It's by the grace of God. It's by the nail prints in his hands. It's by the blood that he spilled for us that we have any right to stand before him this morning. And then he says, what are you mighty mountain before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. And then he will bring out the capstone who, who shouts of it, God bless it, God bless it. And then he says in verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Now get ready for this, all right? Here's where our biggest problem is, is we do not have confidence in God's love for us. We believe he loves us. But the minute that we fall into our weakness, we believe somehow that he doesn't love us anymore. Or he doesn't love us as much. God loves you as much as he will ever love you. 
God's forgiveness for you is as much as it has ever been and will ever be. His desire is that you believe him and that you have confidence in his love. Because his confidence, your confidence in his love frees you from the condemnation that comes against you. And we love to condemn ourselves. So there's this cleansing that comes. So let me back up a little bit. In the heavenly scene in chapter 3, Zechariah saw Joshua the high priest standing before an angel of the Lord. Satan presents this case against Joshua, accusing him of not being qualified for leadership. He cannot be the leader. He cannot be the high priest. Look at his filthy garments. And the problem is, is that Joshua was guilty. It was not just an accusation. It was true. He was guilty. And then it says, he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him and to accuse him. And the Hebrew word for Satan comes from the root word adversary. It's translated accuser. So he accuses God's people in all kinds of ways. So the accuser of our brethren. If you go to Revelation 12, which is really kind of a favorite chapter of mine, it talks about Satan being hurled down. And then it says in verse 10, He's the accuser of the brethren who stands before God, who accuses us day and night. And then the word says, but we overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and loving even our life not unto death. Who in this room has the right to accuse someone else? Who in this room has the right to accuse someone else? Do you even have the right to accuse yourself? Because what you're saying is, God, I don't believe that your provision was enough for me. I don't believe what you did at the cross was enough for me every time we accuse ourselves. So the Lord didn't receive Satan's accusation against Joshua, but instead he rebuked Satan twice. Listen to me. The Lord will not tolerate Satan's accusation against you. Neither should we. And we have to declare over ourselves every day. Curtis and I were talking about this. Um, um, I, was, I put something in Facebook a little bit about this, a post. And Daphne Kirk from um, England said, you know what? Our greatest accuser is ourselves. And I think it was her that said, you ought to get a mirror for everybody. And let everybody take the mirror and begin to look into the mirror and begin to proclaim over yourself who God says you are. Because forever, forever, we are paralyzed in our relationship with Jesus because we forget what Jesus has done for us and we take our sins upon ourselves again. But the Bible says, even in Psalm it says, he places our sins as far as what? The east is from the west. In the sea of God's forgetfulness, God doesn't remember our sin against us. Why should we remember our sin? And so the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And then he talks about Joshua. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now listen to this for a minute. The Lord chose Jerusalem. The God who chose the weak and sinful Jerusalem is the God of grace who chooses those who do not deserve salvation and cannot save themselves. Jerusalem is one of the most wicked cities ever. 
I mean, not only did it kill the prophets, but they killed the Son of Jesus Christ. Uh, killed the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You hear me? You hear what I'm saying? But God had a plan for Jerusalem. And what he was saying was, I'm not going to let what you say against Jerusalem hold me back because Jerusalem will be the place of my throne for all of eternity. So God takes the weaknesses of us and he says, I know what you see and I know what others may see, but I have a plan for you. And I'm not letting you go. I am not letting you think that you cannot get through this because I'm telling you, it's by the blood of Jesus Christ that you're saved. Amen? So let me just hurry real quick and, and come to an end. So it's kind of like this scene is in the courtroom of heaven. God the judge is there. Jesus Christ, the mediator, is standing there. Satan, the accuser, is standing there, and you're standing there. And the accuser says he's full of weakness. He's full of failure. He's not been able to accomplish what, what uh, I want him to accomplish. And Jesus says, no, you're not going to say that. Look at these nail-pierced hands. These nail-pierced hands provided the sacrifice that makes him, makes you worth who you say you are. And I'm going to make sure that I accomplish the plan because I'm the sovereign God and I'm the one who calls you. I'm the one who chose you and I want to make sure it's accomplished. So most of what we don't accomplish is because we are our worst enemy. Or we even let the enemy accuse and say, there's no way that you can possibly do the work of the Lord. Look at your life. Look at your weakness. Look at your failure. But God said, I chose Jerusalem. I chose it to be an illumination throughout all of history to show how extreme my grace is and to show that even when we say as individuals or nations we have gone too far, God says, look at Jerusalem. Remember Jerusalem? It didn't go too far. They murdered the prophets. They killed my son. They worship demons. But I have a plan, and my mercy is greater than their sin. I am the God who chose Jerusalem. I am the God of grace. I am the sovereign God. I know what I'm doing. What an answer to Satan's accusation. You think your accusation is going to prevail against the God of Jerusalem? Do you think your accusation is going to prevail against the sovereign God who said, I love you, I made you, I have a plan for you, and I'm going to make sure your destiny is complete? You can kick against God. You can kick against his plan. You can say, ah, that wasn't the plan of God. But I want to tell you something. God has a plan, and he will see to it that that plan is accomplished. But we have to continue to have yes in our heart. We cannot continue to say no to God. We have to have a yes in our heart. He said, I spoke the blessing over Jerusalem in chapter 1 and 2, and you think that I can't restore Joshua? I can. And as for Joshua, I have chosen him. And this is going to be hard for you. I want you to just raise both of your hands and say, as for me, God, you have chosen me. Say it. Say it again. You have chosen me. Say this, even in my weakness, even in my failure, even in my sin, you've chosen me. You have a plan for me. No accusation can come against me. And I will complete the task because of your grace and because of your mercy. Because of your mercy. So he says to Joshua, he says, look at Joshua. He is a brand plucked from the fire. 
Now, what's happening is the Lord is describing Joshua as this branch that's on fire, and just in the nick of time, God pulls him from the fire. How many of you feel like you've been that branch? On fire, just about to burn up, just about to become nothing, and God says, wait a minute, I am going to pull this burning stick from the fire because I have a plan for you. I have a desire for you. My will for you is to complete the task. Now, don't spend all your time thinking about what the task is. Just spend your time worshiping the one who pulls you from the fire. Just say, I'm thankful this morning. Just say it. I'm thankful that God pulled me from the fire. So he delivers us. He delivers us from our captivity. All of us, everyone in this room are like burning branches that have been snatched from the fire by the grace of God. Except for the grace of God, we would have no future ever. But because of the grace of God, we have a great, bright future and a great, 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 great hope. All right? So this is how the Lord silenced the accusation of the, uh, the enemy. He said, I am not going to destroy Jerusalem or Joshua or you because that's not what I'm about. I'm not about destroying. I'm about building up. I'm about taking you into my heart and giving you my grace. Again, this is not a grace to do whatever we want to do, but it's a grace that says to God, I see my failures. You know, if I stopped and looked at my failures all the time, I'd just quit. I'd just give up. About the time I think I got a handle on things, I just make a big mess of things. And the Lord knows that. And when I come to him in repentance, he kind of says to me, I, I know you. I know your weakness. I know your propensity. But I paid the price for that. I paid the price for your sin. I paid the price for your compromise. And this passage, again, I want to say it one more time. It's not, you know, boys will be boys kinds of thing. It, 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 it is basically the Lord saying, I want you not to sin but this passage is where people are, are not going to be content to live in compromise, but we're going to set our heart to obey God. I'm going to set your heart to obey him. Just, I want to obey God. I want to be what he wants me to be. So I, I end with this. The Lord delights in mercy, and he deals gently with his people. If Jesus does not continue to rescue us as he rescued Joshua, we will be consumed by our sin. We'll be consumed by our weakness. We'll be consumed by the trials that come our way. When God calls people to serve him, he knows that we're weak, he knows that we're sinful, and he knows that we're needy. But his mercy is new every morning. His mercy is new every single morning. Great is his faithfulness to us. So God, I want to thank you that you did not cancel me out when I deserved your wrath. Lord, I want to thank you for the good news. Lord, that you are going to not only help me, but you chose me. You chose me for this day. You chose me for this hour. You chose this church for this time in this community for a purpose and for a plan. You plucked us from the fire. And you even compared us to Jerusalem and said, look at what a mess, but I've chosen Jerusalem. It will be my throne for all of eternity. So 
can I just say, I know this is not something you want to hear, but I'm going to say it anyway. We're all a mess. Just say it. We're all a mess. And we're even a bigger mess than we knew when we first got saved. I mean, I look at myself and I go, oh, my goodness. But if it's the God who saved Jerusalem and you're the God who plucked Joshua from the fire, I know that you're going to do it again and again and again. And then the Apostle Paul gets kind of stuck in here because when he, I think, is referring basically to uh, Zechariah, he says in chapter 8, verses 33 through 34, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Isn't Christ at the right hand of God making intercession for us? So he's presenting our, ca our case. Paul's elaboration is, we're in court. The enemy says, he's guilty. Jesus steps up and says, no, he's not guilty, and shows his nail-pierced hands and the blood of Christ. He says, no, he's not guilty. And God says, not guilty. Not guilty. Not based on the fact that you're so good. Based on the fact of what Jesus did for you. Aren't you thankful for that? And so, so the judge, God is standing there, and the adversary comes, the accuser of the brethren. It says that even in Revelation 12, as I mentioned. He says, who has the authority, who has the right to charge you that will have authority in God's court? No man has that authority in God's court to evaluate you except one man who is presenting your case before God with nail-pierced hands and his own blood. He's saying, Father, I paid the price for their sin. I paid the price for their weakness. Father, the people that he's accusing, they're my eternal bride. My blood is sufficient. No demon in hell can present their case in a way that would ever find them guilty because I paid the price. I paid the price. So Satan can accuse, but he does not have the authority to bring God's judgment on you. He can present a case, but if we don't agree, then that case has no power. So stop your agreement with the enemy. Stop listening to his accusation. Stop telling yourself what the enemy is saying. Don't listen to him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you can spend the rest of your life disqualifying yourself and putting you on the sideline. But God is always going to say, get up. I want to bring you into the game. This is your time. This is a time for your potential. This is a time for you to be who God called you to be. I called you to be a dad. I called you to be a grandpa. I called you to be an uncle. I called you to be a pastor. I called you to be a teacher. I called you to be a worship leader. I called you to sing on the worship team. I called you to invite people in the doors that are coming in. I called you. I called you. Don't get up in the morning and say, this doesn't mean anything. This isn't very much. You don't understand what you're doing. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So Joshua's filthy garments were removed 
and new ones were given to him immediately. And the Lord exhorted Joshua to see that he had removed his sin and would clothe him with rich robes. God wants to take off your filthy garments. God wants to exchange your garments of heaviness with a garment of praise, a garment of understanding that I am clean before God, even in the midst of my weakness. So this is what the Lord admonishes us to do today. Walk in wholehearted obedience. And the Lord gives him two exhortations. He first of all says, I am going to give you the duty of judging my house. I am going to make you a leader in my house. No matter how you fail, no matter how weak you are, I am going to make you a leader in my house because I have a purpose for you. And then he says, he wants us to walk among those who need to be plucked from the fire. Jude even says that. Jude says, snatching some from the fire. There are people in our lives that we need to snatch from the fire. We need to say, no, that is not God's plan and purpose for you. I've got something more for you. Okay? So number one, don't accuse somebody else. Number two, don't accuse yourself. And, and don't find yourself in a place where you're in agreement with somebody who's accusing themselves for them to think that they don't have to walk in that purpose that God has for them because God's the sovereign God who calls you. He called you. He made you. Let's stand together. So I want to pray. There's a, <clears throat> this is what I, I, I'm just telling you what I feel. Sometimes maybe you don't want to hear what I feel. But I really want to tell you, I think there's a shift right now in the spirit as well as the natural related to Zechariah 3. Because later that day, Zechariah set a crown on Joshua's head. It confirmed the renewal that God had for him. And in fact, he even went before the king of Persia and made the king of Persia and the governor begin to give resources so that the work of the building of the wall and the temple could be complete. So this morning, I believe there's a shift. And that shift is we're going to shift from the accusations that are against us or even the things that we're speaking about ourselves. And we're going to say, God, I believe you will accomplish what you want to accomplish in my life. And I'm going to be in agreement with that. I'm not going to listen to the accusation. And the second thing is, and God, you will provide for me what I have need of that I accomplish what you have called me to do. Amen? How many believe that this morning, okay? A little different word, but it's what I have, okay? Just shared with you from Zachariah. I've never shared that before. I'm just telling you, stop accusing and stop being accused. And when someone accuses you, don't accept that accusation. Say, that's not who I am. I am who God says I am. I am the righteousness of Christ. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. I am the one who he called, and he will complete the work in me through Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he can do immeasurably above all that we could ever ask, hope, or think 
according to who he is. Amen. So, Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, renew in us the understanding that you have a work for us and that you love us and that you're going to see that it's accomplished because of what you've done already at the cross. There is nothing too difficult for you, God. And so this morning before we leave this place, I'm asking that you put a yes in our heart. A yes in our heart, even when we want to say no or even when we have the feeling we don't want to say yes. Would you put a yes in my heart that I will do what you've called me to do and that I will listen to you and that your word and your grace is more than enough for me. Your mercy is new today to me. And your grace gives me the ability to say yes, even in the midst of my weakness. In Jesus' name.